Psalm 48, a song, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise in the city of our God, his holy mountain. Beautiful in its loftiness, the joy of the whole earth, like the heights of Zaphon is Mount Zion, the city of the great king. God is in her citadels. He has shown himself to be her fortress. Behold, when the kings joined forces, when they advanced together, they saw her and were astonished. They fled in terror. Trembling seized them there. Pain like that of a woman in labor. You destroyed them like ships of Tarshish, shattered by an east wind. As we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord Almighty, in the city of our God, God makes her secure forever. Within your temple, O God, we meditate on your unfailing love. Like your name, O God, your praise reaches to the end of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Mount Zion rejoices. The villages of Judah are glad because of your judgments. Walk about Zion. Go around her. Count her towers. Consider well her ramparts. View her citadels that you may tell of them to the next generation. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide, even to the end. Psalm 48 might well have been sung whilst processing around the walls of Jerusalem, perhaps for the New Year festival, somewhat like the occasion that's described in Nehemiah 12. Like medieval Southampton, Jerusalem was a fortified city. One can take a walk on what remains of Southampton's walls um, from the bar gate and then uh, down to what remains of the, the wall by the old seafront. And doing so helps one to imagine how daunting it must have been to be a soldier trying to attack a walled city in the ancient world. Psalm 48 uses the battlements of Jerusalem as a metaphor for the protection that God gives to his people. Consider well her ramparts, view her citadels, that you may tell of them to the next generation, for this God is our God. This may have been inspired by God's miraculous delivery of Jerusalem from the army of Sennacherib, as recorded in 2 Kings chapters 18 to 19, whilst also sort of using stereotypical language that reflects historical memory in a general way. The point is... The acts of God prove the reality of God. For behold, verse 4, what the psalmist had only heard about the Lord God Almighty, they had now seen with their own eyes. God's defeat of pagan invaders undermines the religious beliefs of those invaders and adds warrant to Judaism. In Mesopotamian religion, the main god of Babylon was called Marduk. As the chief god in whose hand the fate of kingdoms was thought to lie, 
Marduk came simply to be known as Bel, which is a name derived from the Semitic word Baal, meaning Lord. Now, reference to Bel is made by two Babylonian names made famous by the book of Daniel. The first name is Belteshazzar, that is, Bel Balatzuzar, meaning Bel protect his life, which is the name given to Daniel by King Nebuchadnezzar. And the second name is Belshazzar, Bel Sauzar, meaning Bel has protected the king, the name of the last king of Babylon. Now, the significance of Mount Zaphon in verse 2 is that this mountain was the traditional dwelling place of Baal. Hence, to say literally that Mount Zion is the topmost peak of Zaphon is kind of making a claim that Zion, that is the hill in Jerusalem upon which the temple was built, uh, is the genuine place of divine dwelling and presence. In other words, unlike the pagan gods from Baal to Bel, the God of Jerusalem is the living God who really does protect those who own his name. And since God's character doesn't change, he is like the fortified walls of Jerusalem forever and ever. But does it follow from this that God will protect the inhabitants of Jerusalem from physical attack at any or all times simply on account of where they live? Well, the prophet Jeremiah certainly didn't think so. He says, do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, it's the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with one another justly, if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then will I let you live in this place, in the land I gave your ancestors forever and ever. Jeremiah 7, 4-7. So although Psalm 48 says of Jerusalem that God will make her secure forever, history shows that God didn't protect it from the Romans who destroyed the temple in AD 70. And having famously predicted that this would happen within his generation, in Mark 13, for example, Jesus obviously didn't think that Psalm 48 provided Jerusalem with some sort of blanket immunity to danger. Commentators such as Matthew Poole and John Wesley agree that God would have kept Jerusalem secure if Jerusalem had not forsaken God and forfeited his favour and protection. Like Jeremiah 7.7, Psalm 48.8 is a, a conditional prophecy. The physical security promised to Jerusalem, like the spiritual security promised to the Christian disciple in the New Testament, is conditional upon a living relationship with the Lord. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me, says Jesus. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. 
But as Ben Henshaw explains, the verb listen and follow in the Greek here in John describe a continuing action. The sheep are the listening and following ones. And only those who are listening and following can rightly be called Christ's sheep. There's nothing in the passage to suggest that the sheep can never stop listening or following and no promise given for those who might cease to do so. No one, no one can snatch us out of the hands of Christ. But this side of glory, we remain free to wriggle out of our own accord. Hence the biblical calls to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you'll receive what he's promised. Hebrews 10.36 Jerusalem is protected in as much as it is the city of our God. And it is only the city of our God in as much as its people are his people. People faithful to the covenant between God and Israel. Hence Jeremiah's warning. Again, if you are careful to carry out these commands, then kings who sit on David's throne will come through the gates of this palace. But if you do not obey these commands, declares the Lord, I swear by myself that this palace will become a ruin. The subsequent Jewish exile to Babylon, as recorded in the book of Daniel, testifies that the pertinent question isn't Whose side is God on? But rather, are we on God's side? And reading Psalm 48 allegorically, we can certainly acknowledge that what is here said of Jerusalem is true, in a sense, more strict and absolute of the church. That nothing can prevail against it. That it will endure to the end of the world. However, if God's relationship with Jerusalem can teach us something today, it's that when it comes to our eternal destiny, we dare not rest on our laurels. Since salvation isn't earned by works, any more than it comes from happening to live in the right city, we have no laurels to rest upon. Instead, salvation comes to us by grace as we live by faith. And so every day we can and must run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Hebrews 12.1 As we strive to do this, there can be no greater motivation than to meditate on God's unfailing love. Verse 9. Psalm 48 highlights how that love is exemplified by God's guidance and protection of his covenant people. From the perspective of the new covenant established by Jesus, that love is exemplified by God's grace displayed on the cross. And just as singing Psalm 48 around the walls of Jerusalem celebrated deliverance from pagan kingdoms and pagan gods, so participation in communion celebrates our deliverance out of the dominion of darkness, Colossians 1.13 and into the church, which is the body of Christ, and which is the new Jerusalem, Revelation 21 too. 
So in the words of Colossians 1, 11 to 14 with Paul, let us come to communion giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Amen.